Swing and a high fly ball, belted. First home run for Acuna as a tape measure shot in Cincinnati. There's a deep drive to center field. Get up, ball. Get out of here. And gone. Home run number one for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 34 regular season home runs for the now 21-year-old Juan Soto. That is hit in the air to right and way out of here. What's up? You are listening to episode six of the Prospects 365 Fantasy Baseball Podcast. My name is Ray Butler. You can follow me on Twitter at Prospects 365. The last episode, episode five, was the first episode that I have solo hosted. I was the only one on episode five. This episode is our first episode with a guest. Today I have with me Ralph Lifshitz. He is the founder and a partner at Prospects Live. You can follow him on Twitter at Prospect Jesus. Ralph, what have you been up to today? Ah, man, you know, just uh, usual stuff and, you know, this quarantine, self-isolation, social distancing era of uh, just sitting in the house. I had to do some work. Still working. I'm fortunate enough to have a job and uh, still have stuff to do, though. Uh, It's sales, so there's not really much I can do at this point. But uh, it's another story for another time. But hanging out with the kids, man, uh, throwing my son a little BP every day. Oh, yeah. Playing a little catch every day. So that's a a blessing. You know, it's funny, man. It's one of those things where it's like, with all this additional time on my hands and time at the house with the family, there's a lot of good of it that comes of it too. You know, just more, way more personal time they've ever had in my life. Um, you know, my wife is my best friend. I'm around her all the time. And I have all this time to catch up on baseball that I couldn't humanly, uh, you know, it wasn't humanly possible for me to watch a year ago. Now I can dig into that. So MILB, I'm going to get into some college stuff. Still finishing up some top thirty, so I'm I'm staying busy, you know. Um, but uh, it'd be nice to be able to go out and like you know do some things, or you know like at, watch actual live baseball. I'm trying not to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm like you though. My wife is my best friend. One thing that we've really enjoyed doing, we both teach school, so of course we're shut down. One thing we've done, we have started. My wife is a gigantic Marvel fan. One thing that we have done to kind of make intentional time together, we have watched the Marvel movies in, chronic, in chronological order. Uh, we just got done watching, uh, we are ready for the first Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay. Uh, so that's just been, it's been something fun, something to be able to relax. She is 28 weeks pregnant uh, with our first kid, so... Just spending that, like you said, spending the extra time with family, especially uh, with a pregnant wife, her not having to be outside and be kind of uh, exposed to everything that's going on outside has been, it has put my mind to ease. Before we dive in, congratulations to Prospects Live. Y'all dominated your first round matchup today in the Baseball Pods Fantasy Baseball Podcast Tournament. Congrats. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I hadn't actually heard of um, the podcast that we, we went up against, but uh, I went through the brackets and I was trying to subscribe uh, to anything I wasn't already subscribed to. Unless it was like ESPN and then it's kind of like, eh, I don't really need to listen to that. 
Yeah, I got enough. Like that's not a big deal, but like if there's a lot of guys that were like startups or folks that um I didn't know they had a show, and uh, yeah, so so I did pretty well there, and I actually have three podcasts in the bracket, two that are active, one that I think are gonna have to, I don't know, uh, I guess shake off the dust and take it out of the garage for a little bit, uh, just for <laughs> the all the all the listeners that supported it, but I think I was like seventy percent plus in like every single matchup, so. Um, we did well, but you know, who knows? And, uh, I, you know, I think it's just cool to have that many people vote on something like this, even if it's only like, you know, 500 to 600 to 700, you guys said a thousand on yours, but, um, have that many people plugged in and voting is cool. I don't know. You know, even yeah. if it's a few hundred, like it's just, that that's cool. It's this little niche of people that, you know, appreciate it that much and would know the products that well that, you know, they might vote or, you know, I think, you know, other thing I was going to say too, Ray, is uh, kudos to Baseball Pods for putting something like this on and getting, you know, a lot of these people out there um, that might just be starting out or uh, maybe just don't have the, the following that some others do, but put out a quality product. Right. And that's what I was going to say. It was, of course, it's unfortunate that we have so much free time on our hands, but Chris, who is behind the Baseball Pods handle on Twitter, he had, number one, a great idea. And number two, we are kind of going through this tournament at the perfect time. People, like we've talked about already, we have a lot or more free time on our hands than we're used to, more time to listen to podcasts. And I really do think that more people are listening to more podcasts. And that was the entire point of the tournament. I am super appreciative of the Prospects 365 Army, there was more than 1,100 total votes cast Oof. in our first round matchup today. It was against the uh, SP Streamer Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Of course, Mike and his crew over there do an absolutely outstanding job with their site and their podcast. Of course, it obviously, they have an extremely loyal fan base. Uh, it was an excellent, excellent day. It was tight all day. Neither one of us ever pulled away at any point. I'm not going to lie, the last couple of hours I had a little bit of anxiety. And then to add on to that, MLB Network had on game six of the 2011 World Series where that, that the David Freeze game. Um, and me being a Cardinals fan, I have watched that game 20 times. I can tell you exactly where I was, exactly who I was talking to. But when Nelson Cruz hits that home run, I think in the seventh inning to put the Rangers up by two, it never fails. I always get anxious, and I was already anxious because of the first-round matchup between us and the SP Streamer Fantasy Baseball Podcast. So it was a tense couple of hours, but I am currently rewarding myself with a little crown and coat, so a little celebratory drink tonight. Very well done. There you go. Okay, so let's dive in. I We were talking off air, and I said that Every podcast or most of the podcasts that I've listened to lately, and including ours, they start with what their side is doing, what their guest side is doing during the layup of during the shutdown, during the delay. We're going to talk about that, but instead of opening with that, we're going to wait till the end. I want to hear what Ralph is doing at Prospects Live. Of course, they're continuing to pump out content. I'll talk very briefly about what we're doing at Prospects 365, but before we do that, Let's get to the meat and potatoes of this podcast episode. So this morning I released, I published the number one through 50 portion of my crystal ball 
uh, top 100 prospect list for the 2021 season. And before today, when I had just published the just missed portion and the number 51 to 100 portion, even before today, I had already gotten questions about Pedro Leon and Oscar Colas. And people, I think mostly my followers and my readers were assuming that Colas would be somewhere in the top 100. And based on other kind of projected lists, I think a lot of people assumed that Leon would be in my top 50. And none of that was true. Neither one made my top 100. It is by far the most questions I've received about my list is, why no Leon? Why no Colas? So, Ralph, where do you stand on these two prospects? Start with Colas for me. Yeah, I mean, I, have, I, I struggle a lot with, you know, identifying whether these guys are legitimate major league guys, legitimate major league prospects. Um, you know, I know Eric Cross loves Pedro Leon, and I, I, I don't know, like, how, how, how can you? <laughs> Unless you've seen the guy play. Unless you have multiple data points to really pull from in terms of scouting reports and, you know, who the player is, um, you know, what the skills are. I mean, I guess, um, you know, Colas is different because, you know, he, he's played in Japan. So you, I guess you have a, a, probably, have a, 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 probably have a higher quality of scouting reports. And have seen him against some competition. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the thing with Colas is that he's a uh, he's a two way guy, right? Right. Allegedly. You know, yeah. Allegedly, so. I know that there are some people that I've talked to who definitely are like, "There's no way he can pitch, or he's not going to pitch." That that's just kind of, and that's not a consensus, but that is the opinion of some of the people that I've talked to. Not everyone believes that, but there are quite a few. Yeah, he's more of like a power hitting outfielder is what my understanding is. He's right, 20, that's, he's, that's kind of where I'm at too. He's 20, he's played in Japan, which I, I, I honestly think that may not be, you know, the worst profile, simply because the development isn't all that far along and the development he would have had for the last few years is probably at least in a structured program <laughs> where they value like, you know, at least hit tool, not necessarily in the, the American sense because they're not necessarily as patient. But I think, you know, plate approach and some of that stuff is tied in there. And I think that's something you don't necessarily see with some of these guys that come over, you know, 25, 26, 27 years old. Um, and there was a string of Cuban prospects for a while that just busted hard with a ton, a ton of uh you know helium and hype um alex guerrero hector Oliveira, rosny castillo right um i think there's a couple of arms even that i'm 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 totally forgetting my understanding is neither of these guys like at least leon wasn't like a huge standout or considered to be you know a huge standout now i understand he's only 21 um but you know, there's not really any huge numbers in the, the Serie Nationale, I don't think, if you, if you take a look at it. The slash line's good, 
but it's 22 games, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I could be completely wrong, and both these guys could be dudes, but my approach to players like this is until I see them in, you know, a stateside environment and we can get some real samples and reports from multiple people um, and multiple opinions, I'm not all that apt to rank them in a top 100 or project them out just because there's not enough information. It's the same for a lot of these guys that come from the Dominican Summer League too. You know, people want to jump on numbers there um, or even the backfield sometimes. If the reports don't necessarily match the numbers, eh, well, it's, you know, it, it's all right to be cautious with a guy like that. That's my, that's my two cents. So when you tell me, when you give me this profile, when you give me chance for plus power, plus speed, iffy hit tool, and kind of a little bit over age, because if Leon signs in the next J2 signing period or whenever he signs, he's not going to play professionally stateside until he's 22. So when you give me a chance for plus power, plus speed, if he hit tool and overaged, right now in 2020, where we currently stand, my mind goes to three places. My mind goes to Julio Pablo Martinez. My mind goes to Victor Victor Mesa. And my mind yep. goes to Lazaro Armenteros. That's where my mind goes. I have yeah, – Armenteros was younger, but, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and you're, you're absolutely – yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but as far as, you know, physical tools go, not the fact <laughs> yeah. that, of course, I mean, that's, pe- that's people, Almenteros. yes, people, I saw the video that you tweeted the other day. He smokes <laughs> one down the first baseline and basically just stands there. I don't know if he thought the ball was foul or over the fence. He gets probably a two or three second delayed start and still basically walks into second base. I mean, oh. those are the raw <laughs> tools that he brings to the table. He slides, he slides in like uh, a fullback in soccer and it's legitimate like shoulder first slide tackle to the second baseman that's like totally unassuming waiting for a throw yeah that was great so there are people colas has kind of been tabbed i think the nickname is the cuban otani yeah and of course uh armenteros was the cuban bryce harper uh you know people wasted extremely valuable first-year player draft picks on Victor Victor Mesa, who is – Oh, yeah. Some people have thrown the old NP on him, not, not a prospect. Uh, and people were really high. And you know what? I overranked Julio Pablo Martinez as well. I overranked Victor Victor Mesa as well. But at some point, we have to learn from our mistakes. We have to become a little bit risk-averse to – the shiny new toy syndrome. And at this point, I'm kind of like you. I kind of want to either see it for myself or someone, multiple people tell me, okay, this guy is the real deal. It's time to kind of put him under the the microscope and kind of figure out what exactly we have here. And that means probably as long as both of these prospects sign, I think, uh, as of right now, Colas is projected, I think, to sign with the White Sox. I think the Astros are the favorite to sign Leon. Uh, that means I'm probably got, not going to have any shares of either one of those prospects, and I can live with that. Yeah, and I was going to say on top of it, even, even beyond 
the shares and all that sort of stuff just as a content creator, right? Because I love playing, you know, fantasy sports and I'll do that forever. But my focus with baseball and all the things that I do is to create the best content that I can. And I know it's, it's the same for you. If there's so many players in the player universe now, so many players in college and high school that you have multiple reports on, multiple data points, videos, games, whatever. Why wouldn't you want to dig into a guy like that and write something interesting, right? And understand that player and rank that guy with a true understanding of who he is as a prospect now and what you think he can project out to be versus a guy where really you're, you're guessing, right? Absolutely. And that's kind of what, because all you're going to do is repeat a lot of the stuff that you see out there because you can't get anything new. You can't pull any firsthand perspective from it, you know? Um, and I think that's the folly, so to speak, and a lot of like that sort of focused content. And hey, if you have stuff you want to get into, you want to dig into it, you see the guy swing, you love it. I get it, man. You know, and I don't have any problem with anybody doing that. But I think at the end of the day, though, there's just only so much value you can even provide on a guy like that because what have you seen? What do you know? You know? Right. And so many, so many people who read our articles, they want to be pumped up about their prospects when they get done reading our content. But the longer that I write and the longer that I'm in the industry, I am trying my hardest. I don't want to rank a guy somewhere where I would not draft him. And I, in good conscience, I could not take Leon or Colas in my top 100 right now. I don't know about the top 200. I would assume maybe the tail end of a top 200, but I wouldn't even promise that. But I certainly wouldn't take them either in a fantasy draft in the top 100. So instead of having that uh, kind of that surprising rank that is going to draw attention to my content, I'm just going to rank them where I would take them in fantasy drafts. And right now that is not in my top 100. You know what the other thing is too, Ray? Those guys are never going to be the kind of players that make it up to the majors and perform well. And everyone's like, how come no one ranked them high? You know, I'd rather find the guy that everyone says, oh, no, why didn't anyone rank him high? Versus a couple of Cuban prospects that everybody knows. And as soon as they're good, they'll all be ranked appropriately. There's like, yeah. no, there's like no challenge in that. I don't know. but I had a, a recent question. Uh, it was about George Kirby. I, it was the, after the podcast that me, you, and Chris Blessing did with Welsh. And we okay. had just like a 30-second talk about George Kirby. And I made the comment that right now I've kind of got him as a high-end four with a really high floor. I think you're a little bit higher on him than me. But yeah. I got a question after that podcast that was like uh, one of my followers, someone I play in one of my dynasty leagues with, asked, do you not think that – Kirby kind of has some Shane Bieber qualities. And the way that I answered him was no one had Shane Bieber in their top 10 as a prospect. No one had, I, did you have Shane Bieber in the top 10 as a prospect? Hell no. No, no one did. So I'm willing to lose out on pitchers becoming a Shane Bieber to kind of keep my rationale and my logic as a ranker. 
if I were to rank George Kirby like he is the next coming of Shane Bieber, I'm going to be wrong a lot more than I'm going to be right. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing with a guy like Kirby is Kirby has pedigree, you know. Um, I know myself included, just from like a real baseball perspective, I thought you could argue that Kirby might could turn out to be the best pitcher in the draft. You know, um, went to a smaller college program, but I think if you follow college baseball and you know Elon and you know the folks that were involved at Elon's program, um, they've all been hired by the Mariners um, in the last year to work at Gas Camp. Uh, in particular, their pitching coach, Sean McGrath, works for the Mariners now. Um, highly analytical, focused on using technology to make players better, uh, working directly with driveline um, on a lot of his programs and stuff like that. And you're talking two years back. That's why they've produced multiple decent arms. There's other guys as well. Um, Ty, I think Ty Adcock, which is Brett Adcock's, I think, younger brother, uh, was a two-way guy. They just transferred him. He was a catcher, I think. They made him to a, uh, uh, a pitcher, and he came in as like a reliever, and he throws like 96. Um, they got a kid, Jared, Jared Weatherby, who's a decent prospect from around here. Um, they had Kirby. And uh, then they had a guy that uh, just got traded to from the Angels to Baltimore. I'm totally drawing a blank right now on the kids. Oh, I was, I, I can't remember. Uh, I was really, I love him too. Him. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I liked him a lot when I saw him down the Cape and he's got a funky name. And for some le- reason, it's not, it's not coming to the tip of my tongue. Ah, uh, whatever. <laughs> I'm having a little bit of deja vu right now because I remember us having this Kirby conversation about him coming from a technologically savvy Elon and the fact that a a lot of his coaches have been hired by the Mariners. We had this conversation this offseason via text, and I was thinking today, knowing that you were going to be on, uh, I think next year, instead of us writing our team prospect list or any of my preseason content, we should just release – a copy of our off-season text message threads. I think that that would be a lot more popular and get a lot more traffic. And when you add in the fact that a lot of the conversations that we had, it was almost like every night during the off-season because we were both up really late uh, writing our content. A lot of it was uh, liquid-fueled, if you will. For you, it might have been something else. Uh, But – yeah, I remember having <laughs> having the Kirby conversation, and we we dove into things that we had no business diving into this offseason. Hey, by the way, it's Kyle Bronovich. Yep, he's got a he's got an alien curveball, like legitimate throws, like an alien curveball with like the uh, same grip as um, Brad Boxberger, who throws one of those. Um, I don't. I was really when the Orioles correct the Orioles were the ones who acquired him, right? Yep. I mean, and that's kind of the mantra that we see from an Orioles who are trying to mimic the Astros. We see them targeting players that are kind of model-friendly from an analytical standpoint who have that big curveball. I'm guessing the Orioles think that they can kind of develop a passable fastball with him. Uh, But, yeah, he was a guy that he was on my 
top college prospect or top amateur prospect list last preseason. I know a lot of people have him as a reliever, but I'm interested to see what the Orioles can do with him. Yeah, uh, I agree as well. I mean, even if he is a reliever, um, fine. You know, that's not such a bad outcome anymore. No, it's not. <laughs> with you. It is from a fantasy. It stuff. is when you're talking fantasy, but in real life, it's a pretty dead gum good outcome. We should start playing saves holds and OBP over average. We should get rid of that in the five by five roto game at this point. Like, so, so you're saying OBP over average? Yeah. Save hold over save. Yeah, because I, I that's what yeah that's what the XDL is the dynasty league that I created this offseason. Yeah, it's OBP gosh. not average. It's save hold over just save. I 100% agree with you. Because then you could chase the best reliever. Like, even if he gets a little bit less holds, if a guy has a higher K rate, you know, ratios, all that sort of stuff, then he's more valuable. Where, like, you know, in some leagues, you don't really want to roster guys like that. But, yeah, I agree. Yeah, because, like, the, and I get the skill of, like, the saves game, but it's really just about, like, who gets the wire first or who is, like, you know, the craziest bid on one guy that actually hits, you know? Um, there's a lot of luck involved where I feel like saves holds makes it a little bit more skill as does OBP because you're not just looking at like flat line average. You're looking at the the totality of how often the guy gets on base. Yes. I feel like I should not have to, when I'm watching uh, MLB game day or I'm watching MLB TV or a game on my TV, I should not have to boo or be disappointed when one of my hitters walks. Like, that is making me a worse baseball fan when I have to do that. And when the – back to the saves holds, my home league is OBP, but it is net saves. And for – basically since I joined the league, I've been campaigning for us to be a saves holds league instead. And my argument back when Andrew Miller was in his prime, someone like Andrew Miller who is clearly, when he was at his best, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. Someone like Andrew Miller should hold value in any fantasy format. Yeah. And in saves leagues, even when he was at his best, he, he was accruing a couple of saves here and there, but he was not your bulldog closer that was at the top of your relief pitching list. Yep. Someone like him, no matter what fantasy format you play in, he should hold value. I'm all the way there yeah. with you. Uh, saves Dylan, holds all the way. Dylan Batonsis was exactly the same. You know? Agreed. For sure. So that is, I know we, as we often do, we got onto a sidetrack. That was a conversation that we started on how we are both kind of currently evaluating Pedro Leon and Oscar Colas. Uh, both of them are expected to sign within the next calendar year, I would say. All right, let's move on. I wanted the reason, one of the main reasons that I wanted to have Ralph on as our first guest, not only because I consider him one of my best friends in this industry. I wanted us to talk about one of the biggest misses that we have ever had as an evaluator of talent and as a ranker of prospects. So, of course, we miss on people, on guys, every single year. And we have both had multiple big misses. We're going to kind of narrow that scope here. We're going to both focus on one miss we're going to talk about why we missed and the lessons that we learned along the way do you want to start or you want me to start uh i can start because i think it will be quick so my player actually retired i think yesterday (laughs) that's aj reed former first base prospect with the astros 
I thought this guy was going to be a superstar. If you look at the numbers over the course of, uh, I think it was drafted in 2013 out of Kentucky in the second round. Um, and just mashed, like mashed with the lower minors, mashed in the upper minors, even between his like promotion demotion thing he did for three years with the Astros and eventually the White Sox last year. Um, he always hit in AAA too. So he's a guy that always hit in the minors. Um, you know, I would say I was way more number focused at that point, especially like 2015, 2016. I actually ranked him uh, seventh overall in my 2016 preseason list. I was like, you draft this guy and redraft, you draft this guy in every format. This could be the next great first baseman. You know, first baseman are aging, it's thinning out, which is true. It's kind of happened. We need a guy like this. Like, like, I was hammering him, and the other one was Blake Snell, which I obviously did hit on. Um, but Reed, the big issue with A.J. Reed, fastballs, his, his bat speed was not good enough to really catch up to premium velocity. And if you look at his fan graph numbers and, like, his pitch values, you know, um, his big negative is fastballs. He got eaten up by Major League fastballs. And – it's kind of crazy to think a big power hitter like that, but it was when a, a guy doesn't have, um, you know, above average or better bat speed, and a lot of it is just strength and leverage and approach, that really doesn't play at the major league level because these guys are just that, that much of a cut above. Their stuff is that much better. They locate that much better, and uh, good luck. So, unfortunately, A.J. Reed never figured it out. And I even had conversations – as recently as probably four months ago, people tell me, ah, oh, I think Reed could still rebound. You know, it was the Astros, whatever. And like, I don't know, man, like that ship has sailed. But yeah, so that was a big miss. I've had others, I think in that same list, I had some great ranks and another bad one was like Orlando Arcia at 11. I remember when, when Reed was at Kentucky, he absolutely mashed. Oh man, yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying when he saw non-premium velocity, he, he crushed it. But it was when he kind of got up, and he was immune to that also throughout the lower levels of the minors. So people who only looked at the box scores were saying, okay, A.J. Reed is about to be everything we thought he would be. I remember in my home league, because that was the only fantasy league I played in at the time, uh, a person cut – almost the entirety of their active roster. He was a rebuilder anyways. He cut almost the entirety of his active roster uh, to get that early draft pick, and he rolled with A.J. Reed. And if memory serves me correct, I don't think this person in my home league has made the playoffs since. So A.J. Reed was a kind of a fantasy team bust. I mean, he busted the whole thing up just because you had to invest so highly in him. I'm going with uh, Brendan Rodgers. And this goes back to the very first prospect list that I ever published. The day that Prospects 365 launched, I, an idiot, ranked Brendan Rodgers first overall. And I'm really glad that you said part of the reason that you messed up on A.J. Reed was because you were more focused on numbers then than you are now. And I could not agree with that sentiment more. I saw someone who was mashing at High A Lancaster, which was an extremely friendly uh, hitter's park. I saw Prospect Pedigree. He was a top pick of the MLB draft. 
the reason or one of the things that I'm most still aggravated over that I just miscalculated so miserably, I thought, and this was just kind of according to the research that I had done at the time, I thought he was going to be a pretty good athlete. And that just, it has not really come to fruition. And Rogers does not really fit the kind of the archetype prototype number one overall prospect anyways. He's really aggressive at the play. I think you said it on Twitter a few days ago. He's still, years later, I think he was drafted in 2015. So since then, he is still swinging at everything. And he has great hand-eye coordination. His strikeout rate is probably never going to be super high. Mm-hmm. But he's going to hit a ton of pitchers' pitches because he swings at everything, but he has good hand-eye coordination. And I'm going to be honest with you, one of the main reasons that I ranked Rogers first is because I was launching a website and I wanted to be different. I wanted to make that big splash that drew people to kind of the launch of a new prospect side because there was not that many of us at the time. Uh, it certainly wasn't as big as it is now. So I thought I could be right and also different. And that was what was going to make me unique. And since then, I've kind of learned that you can still be unique, but your process has to be a lot better than. I want to make a splash. I want people to read my content because it is super duper flashy. And that year, the reason that I had gained the Twitter following to kind of feel like I could launch a blog is because I was tweeting nightly updates on Ronald Acuna Jr., who started in high A, he got promoted to double A, he ended the season in triple A. And he should have been the number one overall prospect at the time. But I thought if I ranked him first, it was just going – that's what people were expecting me to do. I thought I was going to be a character of myself if after tweeting about Ronald Acuna Jr. every day, I then ranked him first on the very first prospect list that I published. I wouldn't have been a character. I would have just been right. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you're flashy. It doesn't matter if people are drawn to your content because you do things differently than others. It matters if you're right. People, my VIP members who I send my preseason content to on New Year's Day, they became VIP members because they know that I just want to be right. I don't care what it looks like. I think people have begun to kind of trust my process. I just want to be right. And I would say that Brandon Rogers is probably, I mean, of course we have, like we talked about earlier, I overranked people, uh, prospects like Victor Victor Mesa. I overranked Julio Pablo Martinez, and both of those are embarrassing. But I think my biggest miss, and the one perhaps that I regret more than any other miss that I've had, is ranking Brendan Rogers number one in the very first uh, prospect list that I published when the site launched. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one because it's funny. Um... You know, he, he hit well at Lancaster, and he was actually pretty good out the gate in Hartford. Because as soon as he got assigned to Hartford, I was there. Like, that's as frequently as I went to Hartford as probably ever. It was, like, that summer 2017 and then into the early part of, like, 2018. Um, and then he got promoted. But, uh, I, yeah, it's funny. I had a game that I caught July 2nd of 2017. 
Floyd III. It was my daughter's birthday. I was there with my daughter and my son and a couple of friends. And it was Portland versus Hartford. And in that game was Brendan Rodgers on one side, Raphael Devers on the other, and Michael uh, 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 Shavit were you know, the middle of the order for Portland. So that's a good, that's a good game. Look. Dude, at that point, Devers was so good. Oh, my God. He hit the hardest ball I've ever seen in that stadium, including Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He hit a ball, like, clean out of the stadium. It was ridiculous. Yeah. At that point, he was just on fire. And he got called up to AAA for a week and just was on – like, went bananas in AAA. And the Sox called him up. Yeah. Rafael Devers was just – uh, when I met John Calvagno, who now writes for Prospects 365, I met him in person last summer. Uh, I was, we were both scouting the Appy League, uh, and he just, we talked for like 15 minutes of what it was to watch an Andrew Benintendi. Or did, did Benintendi ever play Moe, or was he assigned straight to high? Uh, he played. Um, so I, I think he played in Greenville at the end of uh, 2015. So I saw him, um, yeah, because it was a 2015 draft, right? The same as Rogers. Um, I saw him out of the draft uh, at short season Lowell, uh, Benintendi. It was like a, a man on fire. And then I think he did go to Greenville, and then he did spend some time in Salem and then Portland and never saw Pawtucket. Yeah, just unreal. And Calvagno said that that was – I mean, he's kind of a Red Sox guy. So he said that, you know, that was one of the more impactful looks that he's had. He got to see Ben Intendi at the end of his draft year, I believe. And then he got to see Devers. Uh, and he just said he could, uh, he could evaluate for another 10, 20 years. He may never, uh, may never see anything else like that. Yeah, and he got Moncada at that time. Yeah. Kopech. Co- yeah, that was that team was stacked. Even like a guy like Mauricio Dubon was on the same team as those guys. That entire team was together. Yeah, just That's ridiculous. Wild. Just a ridiculous amount of talent. And then the so- uh, Red Sox traded it. Quite a few of those guys, or at least some of them, to yeah. the White Sox and the Chris Sale did. I want to talk about one more thing before we dive into what Prospects Live is up to during the delay. And this is something that I have talked to you off air about this a couple of different times. You have, in my opinion, and I've told you this, you have always been super reluctant to talk about this publicly. So I'm going to make you at least talk a little bit about it now. <laughs> I want Ralph Lifshitz's opinion on whether or not there is a correlation between prospecting and evaluating. Pro- prospects and success in redraft leagues. And here's the reason that I ask. If you looked at the TGFBI overall leaderboard at the end of last season, once the regular season or the fantasy season was over, if you looked at the overall leaderboard inside the top 50, there were a ton of well-known prospectors. And you hardly ever talk about it, but even far outside of TGFBI, you are an extremely successful redraft player. I've even told you, I think you're one of the 
best redraft players in the world. And that is not me brown-nosing. That is my honest opinion. So, Ralph, give us your take. Is there a correlation between prospect, prospecting and success in redraft leagues? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I think there is. And, and it's funny, when you first po- posed the question, I was gonna, the first thing I was going to say was look at the TGFBI rankings, right, from the last two years. Absolutely. But, um, I think a lot of it has to do with the approach. Um, and, you know, I think when you, when you write about prospects and if you do it at a high level and you do it well, and we're talking about the guys that were ranked that highly, um, you know, James Anderson, who's obviously been doing great work for a long time, is a really good player all around. You know, he's probably one of the best players in the world. Clay Link, who arguably might be the best player in the world. Right. I'm not even like, that's not even hyperbole. Clay might be the best player in the world. I mean, he won the overall in TGFBI two years ago. He was at, or I mean, he was near the top of the leaderboard for almost the entirety of last season. Had he pull off a back-to-back overall in the TGFBI, I don't know how you make the case that he's not the greatest redraft player in the world. Well, and while that was going on, like he kicked ass and tout. Um, you know, he does well in other leagues too. I think he wins all the internal leagues or a lot of them at RotoWire. Um, he's legit, you know. Uh, Eddie's up there. Eddie's a great player. Um, and I think Smata too, right? I think um, so. And there was somebody else I think that maybe I'm forgetting. But Jesse Roach was pretty high. Oh, yeah. Roach, Roach is pretty high. Yeah, there's a few. But I think part of what it is is it's beyond looking at numbers, but it's more like getting a full understanding of how the rosters and these teams work where the opportunity is, how a player fits in, what he struggles with, you know, if that's something that he'll be able to overcome initially. If a guy is like kind of a, a, a weak fielder, but there's an opening in left field and he's a great hitter and you don't worry about their approach, you're probably not that concerned. You're, you know, you're willing to go out there and grab a guy like that. Um, I also think it's a deep understanding of the player pool. Um, and I think if you're smart about it, you can kind of use – you know, some of the block, the blocked prospects and some of those things that you bemoan to your advantage and maybe grab some of the guys that are blocking them, right? Um, but I feel like there's a variety of reasons that I've been successful and it goes beyond just like prospects. I think it's just staying plugged in and tuned in. And that's not to say that like every league that I've played in, because I'm in a lot of leagues in the last few years, I've like executed perfectly. I definitely haven't, you know? I get a lot of dynasty teams where I'm kind of like rebuilding and, you know, slowly going through that process but you know i think at the end of the day it's just it's knowing the player pool it's knowing what types of players they are so you can kind of read beyond even what the numbers are telling you in a short sample size where people might get excited about it you're like yeah you know great you know no name comes to mind i was gonna say cal quantrell but i don't think he was ever actually good at the major league level but like whoever it is it's having like you know a, a hot start yeah yeah i don't know you know, it, yeah, you know, some unsustainable stuff in the profile, but this guy struggles with this, you know. Um, more often than not, I don't think you're surprised. The only guy that's ever really, really surprised me that was way better at the major league level, but I think that black magic is coming back, is Brian Reynolds. I never thought Brian Reynolds would be like a legitimate fantasy player the way he was last year. Yeah, he popped last year. Why do you think he kind of comes back to earth this year? Um, I think if I remember correctly, like the batting average on balls and play, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't sustainable. Gotcha. 
I, I think I've grabbed him as my fourth outfielder in a couple of uh, in yeah, he's fine, yeah. yeah, he wants to run more this year, which I think kind of would be an added boost. Uh, his hard hit rate was pretty like surprisingly good. Uh, of course, like you're saying, there's a chance that the batting average balls in play falls, and of course, the on base skills will as well. Weird question: How old are you? Me? Late late thirties. I'm thirty eight. Okay, so I am. I'm twenty seven. Before last year, I only played in one fantasy league. I played in my home league. I didn't expand. Didn't really see the need to. Last year. I joined TGFBI for the first time. I won my league. I came in 45th overall, which isn't fantastic, but it's also not awful. No, it's good. Uh, yeah, I did a couple of Prospects 365 redraft leagues. I'm hoping to do the same thing this year as well once we kind of have a concrete timeline on when we can expect baseball. I, I think I am in 14 redraft leagues already. Most of them are in NFBC, a couple of fan tracks as well. I just, I don't, I don't know why I was ever under the impression that you could be really, really good at fantasy and only be in one league. Like that, it is possible. But for someone who runs a website and produces fantasy content, I should want to show people that I'm good at fantasy. And that's kind of the mindset that I've undertaken. That's kind of the direction I've gone in this year. I'm surprised that you – I guess you did talk a little bit about it at the end. I would have put money on the fact that you were going to talk about how risk-averse prospectors are and why that helps <laughs> them in redraft leagues. Well, I think that's part of it, right? Um, but I also think that like we sort of know when to put the foot in the gas too, right? Like if there's a guy – that uh, Cooney a couple of years ago, I was like all in and taking shots on him in a redraft at that price, you know, and people were kind of, were kind of hating on me for it. I mean, especially considering he was down the first two weeks of the season, it was like big deal, big deal. You're going to draft some guy that's going to get hurt for a month, you know, like it's all baked into the price. And at the end of the day, it was a huge return, even though he did get hurt and missed a chunk of time. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I tend to be pretty risk adverse with how I draft too. Um, But I think that comes down to like seeing through a lot of the, you know, sort of the the crap that's out there and the fluff about particular players. Yeah. Data analysis is just such a huge deal. And I think it's, it's kind of the controlled aggression. It's like you're saying, you, you know when to be high on a guy and you also need the, you also know the precursors, they kind of allow you to steer in the opposite direction of someone who is overpriced that could come back to buy your redraft fees. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I'm going to retract my statement on Brian Reynolds. I don't know why I wasn't higher on him. And I feel like I was higher on him than other people when he was coming out of Vandy. But yeah, I don't know. The underlying numbers aren't nearly as bad as I thought. Batting average on balls in play, 387 is bad, but that's going to come up. He's got a ton of really high batting average on balls and play throughout his career, though. So, in my, you know, my opinion, someone is going to produce runs in Pittsburgh. Someone. It might be him. Uh, in my eyes, it's not Kevin Newman. I just, I cannot buy. I can buy Kevin Newman maybe as a, oh crap, I missed out on a lot of other of the middle infield options that I wanted. I can go with Kevin Newman. He's going to steal a double-digit amount of bases. 
if the season were 162 games. But those batted ball metrics are terrible. So I'm kind of thinking statistically he falls a little bit more down to earth. And like I said, someone, historically, we know that someone is going to produce runs in Pittsburgh. I think Brian Reynolds is probably the best hitter in that lineup. Uh, it's like, I mean, I'm not putting the entire weight of my redraft teams on him this preseason. No, 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 no. He's cheap anyway. Shows. Yeah, batting average is sustainable. He hits a lot of ground balls, but whatever. So anyway. we have talked about our current evaluations of Pedro Leon, Oscar Colas. Uh, we have talked about one of, individually, one of our biggest misses as uh, talent evaluators, as rankers of prospects. We each, uh, you talked about A.J. Reed. I talked about Brendan Rodgers. We've talked about the correlation between prospecting and success in redraft leagues. So let's finish with this. What is Prospects Live up to as we wait for real baseball? We still have a handful of top 30s to finish up and finish up the Rockies right now. We have the Nationals. We have the A's coming out. Um, oof. And I want to say there's one more that I'm not, I'm not thinking about. But definitely the Rockies, definitely the A's, definitely the Nationals will be coming down the pike uh, very shortly. I still have a couple of Rockies write-ups to finish up right now. They're really tough in the back end, and I don't like the fudget, so... I've been kind of digging through a lot of games, watching a lot of uh, Grand Junction. By the way, MILB is free. Watch Grand Junction. You know, don't get caught up in the power numbers, but they have an excellent broadcast uh, for a rookie league, and there's not many rookie league broadcasts. I got a lot of good looks at Andy Pajes uh, at Grand Junction, and I'm pretty jacked up about him. I might be writing a post about him pretty soon. Um <laughs> we definitely need to have an off-air conversation about what my Dodgers contact told me about Pajes from last summer. Uh, give, give us a little pre preview. A lot of people, especially your deep dynasty guys, they are – there's kind of a little bit of growing hype around Adele Amador. Are we going to see an aggressive ranking on the Rockies list, or is he someone you kind yeah. of want to see at first before diving in? I didn't do the Amador. Uh, right up, it might have been Ben Chase or Thompson who did that one. Um, but uh, I think I have him maybe 11th or 10th in the system. So he's, re- he's ranked really high, higher than any of the international guys, uh, including uh, Julio Correas, who I actually like a little bit. He's not too bad. Um, and there's, you know, there's some other interesting players, uh, some guys at the back end that I sort of snuck on there. Jared Horn, who doesn't have a lot of velocity, but got a good secondary breaking ball. Uh, he's a big boy. Um, you know, I think with maybe the right, the right coaching, you know, maybe he turns into a decent, like, two-pitch reliever. Um, but, yeah, you know, most of it's just fodder. It's the Rockies, the back end of their system. <laughs> really rough. I've, of but. course, I don't want you to spoil the entirety of your list, but I want to quickly ask about two more guys, and then we're going to hop off. Taryn Vavra. Uh, I didn't do the Vavra write-up. That's Ben Chase because he's a he's a Minnesota Golden Gopher, so we had to have Vavra. Nice. Um, I have Vavra at um, – I think I have him at like a 45-40 or maybe a 45-50. I think it's a 45-40. That's more where I am on Vavra, but he'd be like a high-end 45-40. 
borderline 45-50. It might be 45-50, but that's the high. I told Ben, the highest I'm going on Barber's ceiling is 50. I think he's a major league average guy. I don't think he's anything else. Yeah, Calvagno told me when we were talking in person last summer, he got several looks at Vavra, and he said that his batted ball profile played extremely well uh, at, in Asheville. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah, and he, he also the... he, I didn't I mean of course I knew that Asheville was extremely hitters friendly, but to hear John talk about it, it is fairly insane. Uh, last one, Eddie Diaz. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but these are just guys I'm kind of interested in. Did you do the Diaz write up? <laughs> didn't do the Diaz write up either. Uh, you pick like all the guys I didn't do. Uh, I take the really boring guys at the back end, and then the people at the top that I saw in Hartford. Um, Diaz is like maybe third, twelfth or thirteenth. You know, um, I think I have him as a higher ceiling. He's a forty-five fifty. But I got I got to see a little bit of him, I think, in Grand Junction too. Yeah, yeah, that's why I asked because you said you had been watching Grand Junction. I think he was there. He's got a little more. You know, I can I could see projecting a little bit more power uh, into the swing than I, I thought initially. He's really fast, really athletic, kind of a spark plug. Um, uh, was it Ezekiel Tovar, shortstop? He is a he's a glove. Oh my God, he's a vacuum at shortstop. Um, he's the shortstop. Of the, he's the guy that will stick there. I don't know if the bat will be good enough, but he's the guy that will stick there. Eddie Diaz is like a second baseman. Maybe they move him to center field even because he's got the speed. Um, got decent bat speed. I actually didn't mind the swing. I thought he's going to be way more inside out than he is, and he's not. He could. He can put the ball in the air a little bit, I think, if he wants to. Okay. So, Ralph, is there anything else that you would like to mention? Anything you want to preview? Anything before we wrap this up? No, a lot of draft content coming down the pike. And then a big announcement once I have all the participating parties I mentioned to you offline, uh, all organized and ready to go. Something around uh, MLB draft, something really big. Uh, that I think will be fun for our friends on Twitter and uh, baseball fans out there. But uh, we're going to keep that secret under wraps for now. But otherwise, man, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So I do – I want to make mention of one more thing, non-baseball related. But if my, if my wife were to listen to this podcast, not that she will ever listen to this podcast, she would kill me. Marvel fans would kill me if I did not make mention. Black Panther is the last Marvel movie that we watch. We're watching them in chronological order. Spider-Man Homecoming is next. This has been episode six of the Prospects 365 Fantasy Baseball Podcast. He's Ralph Lifshitz. You can follow him on Twitter at Prospects365. Of course, you know him as the founder and a partner at Prospects Live. I am Ray Butler. You can follow me on Twitter at Prospects365. We will talk to you soon.